You are listening to Circle of Hope's Sunday Meeting Podcast. This talk was given at 2007 Frankfurt Avenue. For more information, visit us at circleofhope.church. Hey y'all, I'm Johnny. I'm going to share a message with you. And while I do that, I think our children and child care providers are going to go upstairs to have their meeting. Then we'll keep going here. They're over there. They're, they could just stay there, too. They seem to be, they seem to be good. Mm-hmm. All right. Hey, Wes. That song started as a, um, James Edmund Porter for a little while. The beginning part. I don't know. Not everyone knows who this person is, but he's an eccentric character that used to be around Circle of Hope, and he wrote this song for us. And then something, and then did you, what's that, what happened at the end? Uh, that's a U2 song. You just added Bono to the end of it? Yeah. James and Bono have some things in common, maybe. <laughs> anyway, it's nice to hear these old songs. Again, so thank you for that. A lot of memories coming to me as I sang that one. Let's start with reading the Bible. Here's a familiar passage to you. Now, listen, the, the, uh, we're following I'm f- the Revised Common Lectionary, and during Lent it's doing us no favors because I think the la- I mean, last week I sp- spoke on John 4, and it was the whole chapter, and now it's John 9, and the whole, it's a, so it's a lot of Bible. So I'm going to ask you to indulge me. You know, normally it's a little bit, but this is a big passage, so... Um, Let's have a volunteer read until they don't feel like it anymore. And then you'll pass it to somebody else, okay? I guess there's three slides. You could stop at the end, but the end of this one just says he put mud. So you might want to finish the sentence. You know what I mean? All right, anyone, anyone want to try? If you get to a, pa- a word that you can't pronounce... Pronounce it confidently, and we'll think that's how it's supposed to be pronounced. This is how white men get through their whole life. Go ahead, Wes. Yeah, Johnny, there's been a lot of me this meeting so far, but this is my favorite Jesus story, so I wanted to read part of it. So, As he walked along, he saw a man blind from birth. His disciples asked him, Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? And Jesus answered, Neither this man nor his parents sinned. He was born blind so that God's works might be revealed in him. We must work the works of him who sent me while it is day. Night is coming when no one can work. As long as I am in the world, I am the light of the world. When he had said this, he spat on the ground and made mud with the saliva and spread the mud on the man's eyes, saying to him, Go, wash in the pool of Siloam, which means sent. Then he went and washed and came back, able to see. The neighbors and those who had seen him before as a beggar began to ask, is, not, is this not the man who used to sit and beg? Some were saying, it is he. Others were saying, no, but it is someone like him. He kept saying, I am he, I am he. But they kept asking him, then how were your eyes opened? And he answered, the man called Jesus made mud, spread it on my eyes, and said to me, go to Siloam and wash. And I went and washed and received my sight. They said to him, where is he? He said, I do not know. Someone else want to go from here? 
they brought to the Pharisees the man who had formerly been blind. Now it was a Sabbath day when Jesus made the mud and opened his eyes. Then the Pharisees also began to ask him how he had received his sight. He said to them, he put mud on my eyes. Then I washed and now I see. Some of the Pharisees said, this man is not from God, for he does not observe the Sabbath. Others said, how can a man who is a sinner perform such signs? And they were divided. So they said again to the blind man, what do you say about him? It was your eyes he opened. He said, he is a prophet. The Jews did not believe that he had been, been blind and had received his sight until they called the parents of the man who had received his sight and asked them, is this your son who you say was born blind? How then does he now see? His parents answered, we know that this is our son and that he was born blind, but we do not know how it is that now he sees, nor do we know who opened his eyes. Ask him, he is of age, he will speak for himself. His parents said this because they were afraid of the Jews, for the Jews had already agreed that anyone who confessed Jesus to be the Messiah would be put out of the synagogue. Therefore, his parents said, he is of age, ask him. Next. Anyone else? I'll take the mic and then pass it to somebody. His parents were afraid and then just said, talk to my kid instead. That's kind of like a little rough, right? <laughs> Anyone else want to say something? Come on. Thank you, Will. Let's get, a, let's get a woman after Will, okay? So for the second time, they called the man who had been blind, and they said to him, Give glory to God. We know that this man is a sinner. He answered, I do not know whether he is a sinner. One thing I do know, that though I was blind, now I see. They said to him, What did he do to you? How did he open your eyes? He answered them, I have told you already, and you would not listen. Why do you want to hear it again? You also want to become his disciples? Then they reviled him, saying, You are his disciple, but we are disciples of Moses. We know that God has spoken to Moses, but as for this man, we do not know where he comes from. The man answered, Here's an astonishing thing. We do not know where he comes from, yet he opened my eyes. We know that God does not listen to sinners, but he does listen to one who worships him and obeys his will. Never since the world began has it been heard that anyone opened the eyes of a person born blind. If this man were not from God, he could do nothing. They answered him, You were born entirely in sins, and, and are you trying to teach us? And they drove him out. Jesus heard that they had driven him out, and when he found him, he said, Do you believe in the Son of Man? He answered, And who is he, sir? Tell me so that I may believe in him. Jesus said to him, You have seen him, and the one speaking with you is he. He said, Lord, I believe. And he worshipped him. Jesus said, I came into this world for judgment, so that those who do not see may see, and those who do see may become blind. Some of the Pharisees who were with him heard this and said to him, Surely we are not blind, are we? Jesus said to them, If you were blind, you would not have sinned. Um, but now you have to. Now that you say we see, your sin remains. John nine one to forty one. Let's pray together. Lord, let the words of my mouth and the meditation of all of our hearts be acceptable to you, O Lord, my Rock and my Redeemer. Amen.
I got a, I got a seven-year-old and a ten-year-old. Girls, daughters. And they have a pretty good sibling relationship. They spend a lot of time together. They hang out. They get along for the most part. Like most of the time, they're getting along. Um, and I think that's pretty good. They're not, they have some problems sometimes, though, where like, there isn't getting along as much. Um, and one of the issues that comes up is they have an insistence on finding out who's to blame or who's the responsible for a certain matter if there's trouble in the air, if there's some conflict that happens. They want to find out who's responsible. And they have different personalities. One of them is going to blame the other person. One of them is going to evade responsibility, find some way they're blameless, or justify what they did in some way. When sometimes they just take all the fault themselves. It's my fault when it's clearly not, too. Like some, sometimes they take like the path that they think will cause the least intensity. So it's interesting to observe. I, I want to teach them. Like for one thing, blame and fault aren't always helpful when we're trying to solve a problem. And for two, they're not just not helpful, they're almost in, they're indiscernible sometimes. You can't, even, you can't even know what's happening. So it's like a fool's errand to try to find the blame, the responsibility. Why did this happen? So that's like something I'm trying to impart to them. Sometimes they share equal responsibility. But it's hard to deduce fault. And it robs us of the understanding the moment where we can just acknowledge that sometimes things are hard. And it doesn't work out the way that we think. And life's a little unexpected. And there's pain and difficulty. As opposed to just assigning blame all the time. You know, feel that. That life is hard, it's complicated, it's messy. And I, I want them to grow into a place where they see life and its complexity and understand that they love one another and they're loved and that it'll be okay. Endure the challenge, the pain, and to know that we'll get, get to what is next and be okay. We see this right in, in the story above, we see the same issue. Right away, the disciples are grappling with this question. Who sinned, this man or his parents, that he's born blind? They want to know who is to blame. Who is at fault? They see an effect. They want, what's the cause of it? Simple relationship. Someone sinned to cause this to happen. Even with a religion... And this applies to Judaism and Christianity, who, who has a foundation of unconditional love and grace, that God's love endures forever. This echo in the Old Testament that we hear. This idea of finding blame and fault is prevalent in humanity. And I, I think it's prevalent in Christianity and just in, in all the things. You know... And sometimes our tendency to blame keeps us from feeling pain. Because if we acknowledge it, if we acknowledge it, then we have to deal with the pain. Like I used to, when I was a kid, I used to get headaches. Like right, right at the puberty time, it feels like. 
That's when I got headaches in middle school and then into high school. And they were terrible. I'd come home every day with a headache. And I'd get sick every time. And, and I thought, you know, what sin have I committed to deserve this headache? You know, I had that thought. It was terrible. I wondered, like, I must have done something to, to... Because, you know, God controls everything. God's meticulously sovereign. So, of course, what gives, Lord? There's a lot of bad theology in there, you know. I mean, my kids do that to one another, and they have no theological understanding, you know, as far as I know. Uh, maybe, I mean, their dad's a pastor, so they got to have something. But, like, I'm pretty cautious. Like, they, want, like they go to my uh, sister's house sometimes. I mean, I'm there with them. So we go to my sister's house. And, like, their cousin gave them books. But Zondervan was the publisher. Zondervan's this evangelical <laughs> publisher. And I started, like, freaking out. Like, what is in this? Like, are they going to become Christian nationalists reading this? What's the content in here? And I'm, like, grilling this 12-year-old. Like, how religious is this? What are the themes? What's happening? And I, I feel like a crazy parent, like, worried that my kid is going to become, like, a Christian, I guess. <laughs> you know? Like, I'm anxious about it. Um, so then, I, Elaine can read it, but... She has to tell me what's... I don't want to read it particularly, so now she, she's reading it and telling me what's happening in it. And I feel like that's a good deal. So far, it seems benign. You know? But, like, I don't know. That's to say, they still blame each other. They don't have a, a religious background particularly, despite what I do for a living. So that's, that's one thing. But I had one, and I was blaming myself for my headaches. And as a parent, I'm telling you this, I, I reinforce their tendency to blame one another because, you know, I apply punishment or consequences for the things they do, you know, and so, like, I'm, I'm, I contribute to that inadvertent, inadvertently, right? I would like to model the grace of God and the grace God affords me when I mess up and when they mess up and we're loving and forgiving and understanding each other. But I know I get frustrated. I know that I want to assign blame. I know that I want them to be responsible and so on. And so there's, I, I'm not engaging in this pattern perfectly either. You know, I have my own things that I bring. So I have plenty to learn from, the, from these disciples that are asking who sinned. I, I have that in me too even as I parent. Jesus is, is extending the grace of God here. This man is born blind so that God's works may be shown. That's a, that's, that's, that's a confusing answer. God shows up in our pain and in our struggle and in our confusion. And, and when we feel hurt, when we feel in pain, when things don't go right, It's an opportunity to know, like, hey, things, things aren't quite right in the world. And they're not quite right with me. And I lack. And maybe God will fulfill. Experiencing pain is an opportunity for God to show up. Either as a healer, or as a uh, co-laborer, as someone who suffers with us. God is faithful in God's presence in our pain, and also in God's redemption. God, Jesus heals the man born blind. One of the seven signs of the Gospel of John. 
these signs that point to a Savior. And these signs in the gospel serve to point to Jesus, to help the people that need sight to have faith. They don't believe without seeing. And so the sign is so that they believe. The irony of the story is that Jesus is helping those who, who can't believe without seeing to see. So he is accommodating the ones who need to see as opposed to healing the blind man. Just think about that difference for a second. The sign helps those who require sight to have faith, to have faith. At the end of John, Thomas will have this famous scene with Jesus where he's sticking his finger in Jesus' wounds because he has to see to believe. And Jesus says it's better for those who believe without seeing. The blind have an advantage. The Gospel of John values the man born blind that believes without sight. The blindness is a blessing and a symbol of faith, and Jesus heals it as a sign to those who need sight. But the man born blind trusts Jesus before he even sees. He knows Jesus. He doesn't need a cause to have an effect. Put in a colorful way, he doesn't need a result to blame his faith for, to burden his faith with. The Pharisees, these people that Jesus was very closely related to, go to John 3 and see this encounter between Jesus and, and uh, Nicodemus in the evening. Nicodemus is a Pharisee. It's just to see the intimacy of their relationship. They witness the miracle. They hear about it, and they claim Jesus is not God because he violates the Sabbath. That's one argument against Jesus. Now I'm just going to pause for a second and say a word about Jewish law. Jesus does not violate the Sabbath law here. The Pharisees say he does, and, and for the most part, we kind of stop. We kind of, like, I think in, in, in years past, I would have just believed the Pharisees. Yeah, they said this, so he broke the law, obviously. Not so, though. There's many different uh, legal arguments when it comes to the Sabbath. Legal opinions among the Jewish lawyers at the time. Acts of compassion are plainly permissible on the Sabbath, for one thing. Sometimes the law requires you to work on the Sabbath in order to fulfill other ritual purity laws. Now, that isn't happening here, but the law, the Sabbath is not the ultimate authority. Acts of compassion are permissible on the Sabbath. And the Sabbath doesn't supersede every other law. For example, the work of the temple occurs on the Sabbath. And so the temple is above the Sabbath. In, in Torah, in the law, it's above the Sabbath. So Jesus isn't breaking the law. And then Jesus is making the legal argument throughout John specifically that he is above the Sabbath himself, which is a legal argument, not an abolition of the law. It is a, is a legal argument. Now, he isn't breaking the law. He's offering another interpretation altogether. Why does this matter? Why am I stopping to say this? 
because when we read these texts, certain interpretations lend themselves to anti-Jewish belief, anti-Judaism, anti-Semitism. And in Christianity, in the United States, in continental Christianity, that is European Christianity, it's led to a lot of anti-Semitic violence for thousands of years. It's no joke. It's, and it, is, it, it, it begins with a misinterpretation of the Bible. You don't have to buy the argument that the Pharisees are making here because there's other legal Jewish arguments that are occurring and Jesus himself is a Jew participating in this. And the Pharisees themselves say the argument is flimsy because they're divided among themselves. Maybe Jesus is a prophet. Maybe he isn't a sinner. So they go to the blind man's parents and his parents tell them to go to him. They don't want people to know they believe in Jesus. Talk to our kid. He's of age. He's responsible. And then the blame game happens again. Jesus is the sinner, is having a problem. They're trying to find where the issue is. How does it work? Where's the responsibility? But the man born blind gives Jesus the same courtesy that Jesus gives him. He says he doesn't know if the man's a sinner or not. Jesus didn't judge him. He's not going to offer any judgment back. What What he knows is that he can see now. He's free now. He's liberated. And he goes on to have faith because of the miracle. He'll see who Jesus is. And the Pharisees who can see are blind. They can't see. They insist on rationalizing their world between blame and fault. A normal thing that we all do. They say the man is born in sin. And Jesus says, if you were blind, you would not have sinned. If you were blind, you'd be in a better position. But you see, and that's why your sin remains. The man's healed of his blindness. But afterwards, he's questioned, he's harassed. They don't believe him. Bad things happen to him after. Okay? To put it another way, Maybe he was cured of his disability, but the people around him are still ableist, right? They're still, he didn't get through it. Curing people doesn't solve our problems. Individual solutions don't solve systemic issues. The society still holds it against him. And over the years, I've used this story as an example of where Jesus is pointing out the folly of ableist theology that would connect our disability with our sins, you know, The greater question is, what if we changed our viewpoint about disabilities as flaws and saw them as part of who we are, part of our experience, and valued them? What if we made a society where blindness was a component of who someone was and not a symbol of a problem with them? And what if we didn't tie faith to healing, but tried to see how God is in all that we do? As a congregation, we're going through a big transition. You're losing your pastor. I'm leaving. I'm your pastor. <laughs> um, this building, we're losing this building. And you're entering into a discernment process. You're in a discernment process about lots of questions. Whether you want to stay as a church, whether you want to stay as a circle of hope, who you want to be, what do you want to do next. And even as you hold these difficult moments, it's easy to assign blame 
easy to point to someone, point to this problem, point to that, and kind of simplify the whole mess. It's easier for people to claim they told us so, they told us that this was coming, or that they know better, or they were right all along. I understand that defensive impulse, the defensive impulse to say those things. But life's complicated. It's unexpected. We don't need to find fault or blame no matter what happens. Whatever you choose to do, God is going to be with you. Whatever you choose to do on your own or as a body. God's faithful. That's the constant we can hold to. God would be as present to the blind man even if he didn't heal him. God isn't only in our pain if our pain goes away. God is in the pain now. God's here all the time, in our pain, in our recovery, and in the times where recovery never seems to come. So I hope you feel God in that way and in this season. For me, more comes to mind as I read this passage. Like I said, we're quick to blame when we experience problems and suffer loss and have pain. And I've been in my own process about that as I've decided to leave pastoring Circle of Hope. I told a dear friend of mine early on in the process, and she cried and then started to blame herself. If only we did this or that, or we did anti-racism one way or the other, maybe you wouldn't, have been, wouldn't be leaving. Painful to hear that, because it's not that simple. That's not how it works. For one thing, I don't, I don't want to hold that burden. I don't want to have that on my shoulders. But also, I don't, I, it's not that simple. On the other side, there was people that were relieved to have me leave. You know, if he didn't lead the church in this way or whatever, whatever, maybe he would have stayed longer. And I'll be honest with you, I want to resolve it nicely for you. I'm interested in that. I have a desire to do that. You know, I want to tie, tie a ribbon on top and, and give you the parting gifts. That's like, really, I, I want it to be okay, and I want you to feel reassured. You know, I want to be healed, and I want you to be healed, and I want it all to work out. It doesn't work that way. I mean, Jesus healed the blind man, took away his pain, and yet people still didn't believe, and they still talked shit, and there was still so much negativity after. It didn't get solved. Jesus is eventually going to get killed for this. So it's not, I mean, these signs that he's doing, these miracles that point to him, in two chapters, chapter 10 is left and then 11, and then at the end of 11, he's going to raise Lazarus from the dead, and then, then, then that's the end. And then from 12 to 21, it's just death. Well, there's resurrection at the end, but like for a lot of that is just Jesus walking towards death. So these things, are, it's, it's, compli- it's, it's, it, it's uh, not simple. It doesn't, it doesn't resolve itself. But definitely there's parts of me that in this process, that I, don't, I, I, I don't want that mess to happen. You know, 
I'm a home cook. I don't want to show you. You know, sometimes these houses have like an open kitchen for some reason. And then like the table is right in front of the kitchen's wide open and then the table's right there, right? Which is like, I guess so that the cook can like engage with the people as they're talking. I mean, I, don't, I think this is why. But like, I want to hide the mess and just give you the risotto, you know? I don't, I don't want to. I don't want you to see everything. It's supposed to like be separate, at least in my head. That's how I want it, right? I don't want the kitchen to be sorted. And then company comes over like nothing happened. I want to hide that from you and then just give you the thing. That's a desire that I have even in this process. Simple solutions. And I want, I want my kids too, because my kids are experiencing a lot of changes too. I want it to be easy for them. I want to resolve it for them. But it's much better to sit with them in their pain and their trouble as opposed to just acting like there's no problem, there's no difficulty, there's no challenge. People want no difficulty. I understand that. They want answers that are easy for why I'm leaving and why I left. But things aren't that simple. Nothing's really that simple. And our church hasn't been always great at holding complexity. But it's a good season to do that, to hold the grief, to hold the loss, to be patient. Some of you are well more acquainted with that than I am. God is near. Jesus said that God's work might be revealed in the man's blindness. It's not easy. It's not simple. It's complicated. Life is that way sometimes. A lot of folks want to know the story. Why'd you leave? I mean, I get, I get some people that haven't spoken to me in 10 years contacting me saying, hey, let's get together. What happened? You know, I find it so interesting that people feel like they can even ask me that. I guess they can, but like, I don't know. It's a personal question in many ways. And they want the answer to be simple. Or maybe they've heard some things and they want me to verify it or, or refute it. I try not to engage in these conversations too much. You know, but this, the, the question is still the same. Who sinned, this man or his parents? Well, it's not that easy, is it? Some people are bold enough, they come off to me and they say, you should have left years ago, or why'd you stay so long? They, I saw the writing on the wall, or they comment about me as if I'm an abstraction to my face. It's painful. You know, some, some, and some are so uncomfortable with the pain of the loss of the building, of me, of the whole thing. They gotta keep moving so fast that they can't even stop to like shed a tear and feel the discomfort. Like, feel the mess for a second. You get, you, you'll have, there's no, you have time. You know? Sometimes that's how we cope, though. We find a simple solution. Some people think my decision was simple or simplistic, but it's painful. I toiled and struggled with it. It's enormous. It feels that way. Yes, it's easy to reduce it to a binary. But there's no prize for being so reductionistic. Unless you just want to avoid pain and assign blame. And my expectations are changing all the time. 
there's pain and conflict across the church that make a ceremonial exit impossible. So maybe I was wrong to expect something else, but it's a reminder that, yeah, life is painful and complex, and that's okay. But giving, us a ch- giving me feeling the pain and having the chance to do it allows me to also have hope, too. Because cynicism might keep us from hurting, but I'd rather hurt than to feel nothing. You know, and I want to live to see another sunrise. I want to appreciate what's next and not just be closed off to everything because I just don't want to feel anything. There's no one to blame for this. And parts of me, my heart is lighter and relieved in some ways, and then there's grief and heaviness in others. Just because we can't assign faults doesn't make it any less difficult, nor does it make the pain I've experienced, even mainly outside of our congregation, any less real. It's a loss, though. It's still challenging. It's hard to let go. You know, it's, this moment is difficult. I'm just, just to confess to you, it's, it's, it's even hard to see you move on without me. Like, that's not, that's, that's, that's like challenging. Because there hasn't been a without me as far as I've been in Circle of Hope, you know? It's hard to not be in this with you now. It's hard not to stand shoulder to shoulder with you as you discern what's next. And as I do. Because for the first time ever, those things are different. That's the first time in my adult life those things are different. I mean, for the entirety of it, my journey has been with Circle of Hope and with you. And for the first time, that's changing. It's hard to let go. And in our pain, it's easy to blame and vilify and find fault. To say we were right all along or you saw the opportunities or to blame me or be angry with me. You know, call me opportunistic or power grabbing. I don't have to guess because I hurt. people have told me this to my face. So like, I can see the hurt. I can see the pain, the difficulty, the struggle that leads people to try to be so simplistic. It's hard to let go. There is pain. Just because we're not finding an easy person to blame for it doesn't mean that there isn't. But healing probably has less to do with simplifying where that pain came from and more to do with talking about it and sharing about it in our struggle and finding God in it, right? It even goes against my instincts to share some of the things I'm saying now with you, you know, and, I, and I'm not like, it's, it's not comfortable to do it. But I hope that's what we can do. I hope that's what I can do in my own journey and what you can do on yours and what we can do next. Feel pain. Hold on to the good and suffer the bad and let go of what we need to. We used to always say in this church we're dying to the precious memories of church. I just never knew how hard it would be when the time came to do that. And that's what we're doing now and I think good will come. Don't fast forward to it. Just hold the pain now. And even as we're departing and parting ways, we can hold the pain together. May God heal us and you and me and give us rest and fortitude for what's next. Lord, hear my prayer. Let's do a little talk back, shall we? 
Let's hold the space for a moment though. I'll say a prayer and then we can talk back. Be with us, Lord, in this challenging season, in this major transition. Show up in ways that are unexpected. Help us to resist simple answers. Look for your works in this. Amen. Thanks for listening to Circle of Hope's Sunday Meeting Podcast. If you want to talk about it or get connected, visit circleofhope.church. You can also find us on Instagram or Facebook at circleofhope.net.